this, guys. I think that's an important part of what we do here as a community, that we uh, are a praying community. And so I'm in, uh, glad to get to do that with you this morning. So here in, in January, uh, we're in the midst of uh, a vision series. We're talking about who we are as a community, who we are as a congregation, what we're about here in East Nashville. And as we've talked about for, for a few weeks now, uh, what we're not talking about is the phrase that your company puts on a pin to try to motivate you to work harder, right? That's not the kind of vision statement uh, that we're talking about here. When we talk about vision, right, what we're talking about is something that would uh, consume your life. When we talk about vision, we're, some, we're talking about something that's, that's big enough that you could give your entire life to seeing that thing come to pass, and that when you get to the end of your life, after giving your whole life to it, you would say, that was worth it. When we talk about vision, that's what we're talking about. And the only, the only thing that can sustain that kind of vision is our Lord Jesus Christ, right? On January 2nd, we talked about who Jesus is uh, out of John 1, that he's the word made flesh. And if you weren't here, you'll never be able to hear it because it was not recorded. So <laughs> maybe we'll preach at a different time. No, <laughs> I mean, that's true. We didn't record it. But that's, that's what we talked about, who, who Jesus is. And then, uh, then the week after that, we talked about what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? That that is something that is worth giving our lives to, that's worth proclaiming with our lives. This good news that, that has already been accomplished for us as God's people, this good news that's being worked out in our lives, and this good news that we look forward to coming one day uh, when the new heavens and the new earth come together. And what we're talking about all this month, really, is, uh, is this line from, I think about this from the Protestant Reformation, one of the rallying cries was, Solus Christus, in Christ alone that he is our only mediator, the only mediator between God and man, the only one who is worthy of our worship, that he, our risen and our resurrected Lord, is our vision. Who he is, his good news, that's our vision for us as individual people, as the body of Christ, and for this congregation. And so we're building on that this morning. We've talked about who Christ is. We've talked about what it means to proclaim Christ through his gospel. And we're gonna talk this morning about what it means to be a people who are devoted to Christ. So Savannah is our reader this morning. Savannah, will you come up here? Savannah's gonna be reading for us out of Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. So if you want, you can follow along with your Bibles if you have them. It will also be up here on the screen. All right, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thanks, Savannah. Pray with me. 
Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, for this record of uh, what it was like to be a part of your church, uh, Lord, so soon after your resurrection uh, and your coming in the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we ask that as we, uh, as we spend time meditating and thinking about this passage this morning, Lord, that you would open it up to us, that you would be not just putting new facts in our minds, but that you would be shaping our hearts and our lives as individual people and as a people together. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to spend most of this morning in just verse 42 of this passage. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay. So what I want to ask is what were the people in this passage devoted to? You can just shout it out. There we go. It's not a trick question. It's just right there. Okay. The apostles' teaching. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Eating. Yeah. I could be devoted to that. What is it? What did I write there? Okay. Prayer. There we go. So we could say that in a lot of different ways, but these are the four main things, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the, the breaking of bread, this is easier for the whiteboard, eating, and, and the prayers. And if you want to get technical about it, the eating and the breaking of the bread probably fall under this category. They're like a further explanation of what the fellowship was. So if you're a grammar nerd, you can kind of think about how that works. But anyway, these are the four things that the people in this passage had devoted themselves to. Now, it would be really, no, that's not where I want to go. Okay, these are the four things they devoted themselves to. Uh, <laughs> I wrote this passage, or I wrote this sermon two weeks ago, you know, so I, I, I'm remembering where we're going here. Uh, what, what does it mean, though, to be devoted? To be people who are devoted to these things, it kind of implies that we have this sense of, of what it means to be devoted to something. What is it that, what is it that it means to, what does it mean to be devoted? There's this theological dictionary that I use and it says this, it says, devotion is paying persistent attention or keeping something in focus. Paying persistent attention or keeping something in focus. So I think about driving in the rain here, uh, which is not like driving in the rain where I grew up. Here it feels very dangerous to me. Right, like when you're driving in the rain and your windshield wipers are kind of on full, uh, full tilt and they, it's still impossible to see through the windshield, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, what, I am, what, I'm, what I'm devoted to on that drive is the taillights of the car in front of me, right? Like that is where all of my attention is focused. My kids, this happened the other week, they're screaming in the back, they're talking to me, can we play this song? I'm like, I can't, I'm just focused on the taillights, okay? Like don't talk to me, all my attention is directed right here because if my attention goes anywhere else, we all become very unsafe, right? We're in danger. I'm devoted. All of my attention is focused very clearly on what is right in front of me. It's sucking up all of my, all of my attention. So what is it that you're devoted to? What has your attention? When I ask that question, I'm talking about your mind, right? But I'm also talking about your heart. What has your attention and your focus? 
I'm actually going to just stop here for a second and just let you think about that. I want to encourage you that that's a question for you to keep rolling around in your mind and your heart to ask the Lord, Lord, what am I devoted to? Because we are all devoted to something. Whether it's purpose or passion, love, comfort, our children, our spouse, finding a spouse, our job, right? Feeling good, doing good, feeling good by doing good. Could be devoted to movements, to media, to political parties. There are all kinds of, I, we could go on and on and on and on and on about all the possible options of things that we could be devoted to in our lives. But what are you devoted to? And the question, the answer to that question, it matters. Because what you are devoted to, what I am devoted to, it will shape our entire lives. It, it will shape not only how we live, but it shapes, our devotions shape us. As you guys know, if you were here two weeks ago, I'm currently watching the Formula One documentary series on Netflix, okay? There's only one season left after this, so you can expect the illustrations to taper out pretty quickly. But we're in the midst of season two, okay? And this is what's happening in season two. I'm realizing all of these people are incredibly devoted to being Formula One drivers, right? There's the, the guy who's the principal of the Red Bull team, that's like the person who's in charge of it. And what he says is that Formula One can take over your life. Can, is what I'm thinking while I'm watching this. No, if you are at this level of race car driving, then it has taken over your life. There's this guy, Pierre Gasly, okay, who drives, drove for the Red Bull team. And as they're interviewing him, he's talking about what it took him to get to this place in his career. And what he says is that his parents gave up everything in their lives for him to be in the seat of that race car. Everything. And then it cuts to an interview with his parents. And his parents say, we gave up everything for him to be in the seat of that race car. His mom holds up this jumpsuit and she says, this was for my son when he was 13. And it means so much to me, I can't get rid of it. Oh, that's so sweet, I think, right? And almost without exception, every driver that they interview says the exact same thing. This has taken my whole life, and not just my whole life, but my family's entire life to get me here. And then what we're watching happen in Pierre Gasly's life so over the course of the season two, right, is that this kid, he's 19, 20 years old, is driving around this Formula One racetrack weeping in his car that as his coach is talking to him over the intercom, you can tell that he's getting choked up because he is consistently finishing in eighth or ninth place. Out of 20 drivers in the entire world, he's finishing in the top half, and it is destroying him. And we get to the end of the one of the episodes, and he is, he is we just weeping in his car after a race. He has devoted himself to this thing that's destroying him. One of the other principals on the other team, one of the other guys who runs one of these teams, the guy who runs the Mercedes team, the premier team, he says, Formula One is so intense. He says, it will judge you every single day. 
this thing that these people have devoted their lives to, it sits in judgment over them every single day, and every single day it's telling them, you're not enough. And that's a really extreme example, right? But friends, that is true about every devotion that we have. That it will shape us, that it will shape our lives, and it will either make you, it will either make me, it will either make us more of who God created us to be, or it will make us less of who God created us to be. It will make us more human or less human. That's the only way that it works. And here's what happens. When we are devoted when we are devoted to God through Jesus Christ, what we find is that we are devoted to the only person in this entire, in all of creation, who is devoted to us. That when we give our devotion to God, what we find is we are devoted to the only, the only person in the entire universe who is more devoted to us than ourselves. What we find is a God who is devoted to us no matter the cost to himself. We find ourselves devoted to a God whose love doesn't, consumes, doesn't consume us, but makes us more into who we were created to be. And Christ, Jesus Christ is both the example and the expression of God's devotion to us. Jesus Christ, I'm gonna say that again. Jesus Christ is both the example and the expression of our God's devotion to us. Here's what I mean. When Jesus when the word became flesh, right? When the eternal God put on a human body and walked among us, what, what we find him articulating is his ultimate and total devotion to God the Father. When the disciples come upon him and they, you know, they kind of know he's hungry and they're talking about where they went to go get food and he says, my bread is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, my entire being, my will, what I'm consumed with is doing the task that the Father has given me to do. That's my entire life is what Jesus says. I'm devoted to the will of God the Father. And what does that look like in his life? What that looked like is it looked like him healing people. It looked like him caring for people who were outcasts in society, touching people who nobody else would touch, talking to people that nobody else would talk to. It looked like him making time to engage and love the people around him. It looked like him experiencing emotion and not being controlled by emotion. It looked like him being the kind of friend that all of us would long to have and desire to be. His devotion to God the Father made him the most human human who's ever lived. He's the ultimate example of what it means for us to be devoted to God and to see that, to bring our humanity into full bloom. But he's not just the example of what it looks like to be devoted to God. He's the expression of God's devotion to us. That his devotion to God expressed itself in his devotion to you. Because where that devotion led him was to the cross, right? To give up his very life because of how much he loved you. His people, his church. Think of the song we sing, the church is one foundation. That's talking about Christ and it says, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her and for her life he died. 
And then we sing, we are treasured and prized, treasured and prized for us he died. We are treasured and prized, treasured and prized, the body of Christ. But in his devotion to God the Father, Christ was devoted to us. What that means is when we step back and we look at that we look at our devotion, right? That as a people, that our desire is that we would be devoted to the one who has devoted himself to us. That 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 his devotion to us would be what occupies our vision. And that's so important when we come back to these main four things that are in this passage. Because if you read this passage kind of out of that context, what it makes you think is that what we should be about is devoting ourselves to these four things. But isn't it possible, would it be possible that you could devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching and actually not be devoted to God at all? Have you ever, do you think that's possible? That you could be devoted to, to the scriptures in a sense, Right? to knowing it, to studying it, to reading it, and yet not be devoted to the Lord? That you could be a person who prays a lot, who prays constantly, and yet if those prayers aren't born out of a devotion to the one who's devoted to you, they're not actually taking you where they're supposed to take you. That when these become the end in and of themselves, that we're missing the ultimate thing, which is the God with whom they're designed to bring us into fellowship, right? So it's so important that when we talk about what it means for us to be a people who are devoted to these things, that we see them as an expression of our devotion to God. we see them as an expression of our devotion to a God who has first devoted himself to us. And that that would occupy our hearts and minds, that that, 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 would, that would be uh, where our vision is set. It doesn't mean that we're always gonna experience like, warm fuzzies when we think about that, right? That's, de- devotion is, it's not less than that, but it's, it's more than that. What we're talking about is the the way that we order every part of our lives would be ordered around bringing glory to God. Seeing and worshiping and witnessing to this God who's devoted himself to us. So we're gonna spend the the next few minutes, however many minutes that is, talking about what it looks like to be a community who is devoted ultimately to the Lord. And what we're gonna do is we're not gonna break down each of these four things and talk about them one by one, right? We could do that, and that, that's a, a perfectly reasonable, reasonable way to preach this passage. But what, what can happen, I think, what I don't want us to do is to miss the forest for the trees, right? To take a step back and say, okay, if we're, if we're devoting ourselves to these things as a community, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way. They were devoted to other practices as well. But as we're devoted to these things, what will be true about us as a community? And what will be true about us as a community is that as we are devoted to these things, we are a worshiping community and we're a witnessing community. So our devotion to Christ is gonna work itself out in us being a worshiping community and a witnessing community. Okay, so let's talk about that. What does it look like for us to be 
a worshiping community. And how do we see that here in this text? Okay, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. When it says the prayers, that's kind of a hint for us. Okay? All of these four things are preceded by uh, the word the. And what it, what it tells us is they're not just devoting themselves to, like, to prayer in general. This is prayer in a very specific way. And it's prayer in the context of the temple, the temple that was active in Jerusalem at the time. And we see that a little bit further down in this passage as well. When it says day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So the temple continued to be an active part of the life of this early church. And why is that? Well, these people who were coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they did not think of themselves as starting a new religion. They didn't think of themselves as converting. Like they weren't, well, we're Jewish and now we're Christians. That was not what was in their mind, right? That, that the way that they thought about what it meant to trust Jesus is that they were realizing that Christ was the fulfillment of everything they had ever hoped for as God's people. And so they continued to attend the temple together regularly for worship, not to participate in the sacrificial system, but as, as the place where they would express their devotion and their worship of God. That's what we see happening in this passage, is they continued to engage in the rhythms of worship that were a part of their community. It's not, oh, well, we're Christians now, so we have no need for that worship stuff, right? No, it's that there's even a deeper sense of why they would be devoted to worship in the first place. And the apostles' teaching, is an, being devoted to the apostles' teaching is an expression of their desire to be devoted to the worship of God. It's that, it's that teaching that shaped the way they thought about and, and oriented their lives around worshiping God. That's the same, that apostles' teaching, that's what we have here in the New Testament. It's what gives, uh, it's what gives shape and direction not only to our lives, but to the way we think about the whole world. And this kind of worshipful living is not only information transfer. When this passage says that the, that the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it's saying more than they were devoted to gaining more factual knowledge about Jesus. Because it's in the context of worship. The people were devoted to the apostles' teaching knowing that it made them a people uh, of praise. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching so that they could adore, they could love, they could be changed by God. This is not, they weren't devoted to academic study like you could be devoted to the academic study of, uh, of the New Testament and the apostles' teaching in a university. Because that's, that's a thing you could be devoted to, right? You could go to it, probably any university in the country and you could study under prof a professor of the New Testament who would teach you about the apostles' teaching. So you, could, you could give your life to that, right? But in a way that's totally divorced from the actual worship of God. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the apostles' teaching as it formed and shaped them for the love and the worship of God. That's what we're about here as a community, isn't it? That's why we're here this morning, to be shaped by the apostles' teaching. And that to be that kind of worshiping community, 
the word community is really important to that. Because being shaped by the apostles' teaching, being devoted to it, is not something you can do alone. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This was not an and-or situation as if you could choose one or the other. And like maybe both if you were interested. There was nobody who just signed up for the apostles' teaching seminar, you know, in the early church. It's like, well, we'll go to the temple and hear them preach. But then after that, we're really not interested. No, it was all of it, all of it together. And it had to be. Because the apostles' teaching, what Jesus himself taught us is that to be a follower of him is to be involved in his to be grafted into his body. It's to be part of a people. You can't learn about what it means to be a part of a people apart from other people, right? They're a necessary part of the equation. To learn to love the Lord is to learn to love his body. To walk in the love of Jesus means to express the love of Jesus, and you have to have other people to express it to. And can I just tell you, that is one of the hardest parts about being a part of the church, isn't it? That you have to do it with other people, right? It's the same thing about being a neighbor. You know, the hardest part about being a neighbor is that you have to neighbor the people who are actually your neighbors. But loving the people that you work with. I'm like, well, everyone loves the idea of loving the people that you work with, but then you get into your workplace and you're like, well, but what about like these people? Yes, the only people in the world are, those, are the people who are actually the kind of people who are in front of you kind of people. This idea of like the people far away that we like to love, that's not real. Because those people never annoy us or bug us. They do, they do everything the way that we would like to do it. Those people aren't real, right? To be a part of a body means to be a part of a group of people. I feel like I'm saying the same thing a lot of times, but this is, uh, this is how Robin Williams says it in Goodwill Hunting. Do you guys know this movie, right? He's, yeah, right, okay. So he's talking to this guy, thank you. Someone's awake this morning. So Robin Williams is this therapist and he's talking to this guy, Will Hunting, who is very smart, right? And what, what Robin Williams is trying to confront him with is, hey, you can tell me all the facts in the world about everything, but you haven't experienced life. You can tell me a lot about love, but you know nothing about what it means to love and to be loved. And this is what Robin Williams says, uh, this is what Rob to Matt Damon, <laughs> to Will Hunting, right? He says, if I asked you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet, but you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable, known someone that, that could level, with you with, level you with her eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you who could rescue you from the depths of hell and you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel, to have that love for her be there forever through anything, through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the term visiting hours doesn't apply to you. And you don't know about real loss because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. And what he's saying is that love is something that has to be flushed out in the experience of relationship. And that what this passage is telling us is that the worship of our Lord has to be flushed out in the experience of relationship. 
what does that mean for us? What does that look like practically then to be a people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the worship of God in the context of fellowship? I just wanna encourage you first of all, okay? Uh, some of you here are visiting, you're new, you're here for the first time or the first few times, I love it. I'm glad that you're here. Some of you have been here for a long time and I know you. And I wanna tell you that that it's encouraging to me to see your devotion to being a worshiping community who does it, to being a worshiping community. That I've watched you guys live this out uh, over the last two or three years. That you're a community of people who have devoted yourselves to worshiping the Lord in the context of community. And uh, it's blessed me greatly. And so what we're talking about here isn't, hey, do more. It's a reminder of the ways that you are living out of this on a regular basis. One of the things it looks like to be devoted to the worship of God in community is being devoted uh, to here, to Sunday mornings, to being together, uh, to being instructed in the word, to singing the word over each other, to participating, to participating, to participate in the sacraments together, that being devoted to what we do here, what the Lord does here on Sunday mornings is a way of being devoted to being to the Lord by being a worshiping community. And if you're here and you're trying to figure out, man, is this the place I wanna plant myself or you're re-engaging with church for the first time in a long time and you uh, wanna sit on the back rows and not really engage with the people here, you are welcome to do that, and we are glad that you're here. But what we know is true is that while we are hurt in relationship, we are also healed in relationship. So the invitation is that over time, this would become a place where you start to push in your chips and say, I'm willing to do relationship with the people who were here with me on Sunday mornings. And one of the ways that that works itself out here is in our discipleship groups in the small groups that Lindsay was talking about. But that's a place where we gather around God's word together, where we pray together, where we get to know each other uh, in a context that allows us to, to know each other's you know, day-to-day lives. So prioritizing your discipleship group is a way of participating in this worshiping community. And if you're here and you're checking this out, or you're deciding, hey, I, th- I think I wanna push my chips in here. I would encourage you, sign up for one of those groups and go. It might be a little bit awkward the first time, right? Sometimes I'm awkward and I've been doing this for a long time. Sometimes it's just awkward. That's okay, okay? Uh, it's worth it. I'm just laughing at how awkward I can be in groups sometimes. But it's true, okay? It's, it's, it's worth it uh, because it's worth it to be in a community of people who are devoted to worship together. I know we've been kind of circling this, but I just want to encourage you guys that uh, being devoted to, to worship as a community is, it's about more than, than showing up. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's about inviting the people here to shape the way that you think about your day-to-day life. 
to help you orient your lives around, help us, that we'd be helping each other orient our lives around who God says that we are. And that we would be a people who are consistently making the choice to get to know the people who are right around us here on Sunday mornings and in our small groups because that, that has to be a choice. For our life together as a community to move beyond these walls is a choice that you have to make. It's a choice of being willing to say, I'm willing to come here and actually give somebody else here my phone number or like ask them for their phone number and connect with them outside of this time. Again, can be a very awkward thing but it's so important if we're ever gonna grow beyond just attending something together, it means we have to be willing to get to know each other, right? I just wanna encourage you guys as you're thinking about what does it look like, Lord, for me to be devoted to you by being devoted to a worshiping community this year? Would you be asking God, how are you asking me to, to knit my life together with the lives of the people who are right around me here? And, and if you're here and this is not the place that God plants you, Pray that for wherever he takes you. Because that's such an important part of what it means to be following Jesus wherever you follow him. Okay. So that's being a worshiping community. Let's talk about what it means to be uh, a witnessing community. And it jumps out so clearly in this passage in Acts, right? Praising, this is verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. So this community had favor with all the people not just the people who are already a part of their community, which is so crazy to think about. Like this is a community who altogether just crucified Jesus, who did not like Jesus' teaching in, for, for a lot of reasons. And yet, as they're watching this new community of Jesus work itself out and become what God created it to be, everyone is standing back and saying, we can't argue with that. Look at them selling their stuff, giving it to each other, caring for each other. God gave them favor with all the people around them. And what that tells us is that this community was not this like insular, Amish, build up our walls, keep everybody else out kind of community. This was a community whose devotion to the Lord led them to be radically open to the community around them. So in, I was reading about this the other day, uh, in an article in the Atlantic, there's, and I'm gonna use a French word, which I have n zero idea how to pronounce French, so just be kind to me here, okay? There's this concept in, in France, this legal concept called uh, laicite. I think that's right, laicite. Laicite, maybe, is that better? Uh, and the idea is, it, is this kind of enforced secularism in French life. There's actually a committee, I think it was disbanded recently, but it's a committee on secularization. And it's a committee whose government jo appointed job was to, s to make sure that religious life and public life were not interacting too much. One of the things that has made this like a, a bigger deal again in France is the Muslim community in France. And what people in public life are trying to do is forbid uh, women who were practicing Muslims from wearing uh, swimsuits in public pools that reflected their faith. Like there were these very modest swimsuits and the French people were saying that's offensive because that's an intrusion of religious life into public life, so please keep that out. So there's this sense of, uh, and it's, it's a constitutional concept there, like it's ingrained in what it means to be French, is that you, you keep your religious life to yourself. Legally, 
That is not the situation that we are in in our world, right? In our current context. And yet, sometimes I feel like that is the world that I'm living in. Do you ever feel like that? Like I'm kind of in a straitjacket. Like I can't, like I can't let my faith get like too, uh, like I don't want it to get too public. Like we were at a music class uh, a month or two ago and the music class teacher asked the, the kids, uh, what's a lullaby you sing before bed? And, and we'll sing it to close up the class. And my daughter said, the doxology. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and my wife and I were both like, okay. Uh, and the teacher said, oh, I don't know that one. What is that, what is that song? And Caroline said, it's a Christian song. <laughs> the teacher was like, okay, moving on. Twinkle, twinkle, little star it is. Uh, right, that kind of, does anyone else relate to that? You must, because you're laughing. You kind of get it, right? That like, ugh. Man, this passage is a call for us to put that down. We talked about that when we talked, or two weeks ago, about I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That we'd be willing to say, this good news of the gospel is good news. And it's so a part of my life. It's woven into every fabric of my life. What song do I sing before I go to bed? The doxology, you know? That That it's coming out of us, in our actions and in our words. that our devotion to our Lord would express itself in our identity as a community that witnesses to the person and the work of Jesus in how we live and how we speak and how we do our life together. Because that's what blows my mind about this passage is the witnessing that they're talking about here is not you and your friend over a cup of coffee arguing about God or talking about God or whatever. That's an important part of what it means to bear witness to Jesus, right, is those one-on-one conversations. But that is not the witness that we see playing out here. The witness we see playing out here is a community witness. That this this idea of witnessing to our community is not you off in your workplace alone. It's us together. It's who we are together. That's what the community, that's what was happening in Acts is people were looking at this community and saying, something is happening there. People were saying, I want to be a part of that. And this word for the fellowship, koinonia, uh, it, was, it was a really important thing uh, in this culture. And in the culture that the, the book of Acts was written into, it was a really high value, was that people would be a people who were devoted to one another, to the sense of togetherness. And what Luke is doing, what the author of Acts is doing in highlighting the fellowship, many commentators think, is he's essentially making an apologetic argument. He's saying to the world, this thing that you value so much and that is so important, it is good. It is so important. And the way that you can find it is by knowing Jesus, by being devoted to this worshiping, witnessing community. Do you think that would be, do you think that our world is looking for the same thing? Connection and friendship, deep loyalty? I just saw a headline about this the other day that uh, mothers who are part of Gen X are some of the loneliest people in our world right now and the places that they're going to find connection are uh, social media sites. And that what they're finding is that that's not a very good place for connection. Agreed. And that us as a witnessing community, that what we're saying is, no, this community where Jesus is at work, that this is a place where you can find the thing that you're looking for. Not that you can find perfection, because that is not gonna happen, right? But that you can find a loving, repentant, life-changing place to belong here. 
Is that is, you know, that is the kind of community that you are. I, that's the kind of community I have experienced by being a part of this community. It has been such a gift to me. And I know a gift to so many of you. So when we talk about bearing witness, uh, we're talking about saying to people, hey, come and see what this community of Jesus is like. And here's what might happen. Um, like the church in Acts, the Lord might add to our number day by day those who are being saved. Now, just I want you to do a thought experiment with me, okay? Right before this passage in Acts, there are 3,000 people who come to know the Lord all in one day based on one sermon. Wow, right? What would happen, and this was like, this was the church in Jerusalem, this one church. So this church goes from 500 people, maybe, to 3,500 people. Do you think that changed the dynamics of their church? I think so, right? You could probably have gone to, this, to the temple with your friends to hear the teaching of the apostles and known most of the people who were there, right? You've probably grown up with them for a lot of your life. And then all of a sudden, there are 3,000 more people there. Do you think that was hard for anybody on an emotional level? to see this community that they had known so well and gone through so much with and suffered together with and identified with and watched you know, all of the stuff that had happened to them. And then suddenly there are 3,000 more people who just decide to throw in with them. What would happen if uh, 3,000 people were added to our number in one day? If Lindsay's here, Lindsay's having a heart attack, right? How many services would that be in this place? It'd be a lot, too many for one Sunday, right? But it would, it would require some logistical changes to what we do. Would you still wanna go to church here if that happened? I was thinking about that this week, I'm like, I don't know if I wanna go to church here, that's a lot. This thing that I've really loved, these people that I love, it would, it would, it would change what we have here. It's true. Let's just take it down by 90%, okay, to a number that feels maybe like a little more reasonable to us. Let's say 300 people were added to what we do here. Would that, would that change the dynamic of being part of this congregation at all? It would, wouldn't it? Would that be hard? I think so. Would that be worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely, it'd be worth it. I was thinking about this week, uh, some friends who are a part of this community who we met. I had forgotten that this, that this happened. We met them on a walk. Like we were out walking our small child at the time and uh, they were walking some, something in a, in, a, uh, in a stroller. You know, you can't always tell. It could be a dog, it could be a person, so we weren't exactly sure, but we got up closer. Okay, it is a child, so we're both walking our children, and we're trying to figure out, like, do we walk faster or slower because we're both walking the same direction? Like, how much do we want to talk to you? Do we not want to talk to you? How long is this? Well, we ended up walking at the same pace, and we were going the same way for a long time, like all the way to the air park, and we were there just chatting away or trying to chat away, you know, uh, and we found out in the course of the conversation that these friends had gone to a midtown congregation at one point, but 
weren't a part of a midtown congregation at the time. And I don't know if they said we want to come. And then I always feel awkward as a pastor. of like, well, you don't have to. Like, I'm not trying to guilt you. Like, blah. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, the next Sunday, they showed up. I was like, oh, whoa, okay. This is exciting. And then they have showed up every Sunday since. I mean, not every Sunday, but like they, they became a part. This is Joe and Megan Brink. Do you guys know them? Maybe. They're serving back in Kittown right now. I told them I would be sharing this just for the record. Okay, so this is not surprising to them. They're a part of this community now. Have they changed this community by being a part of it? Absolutely. Am I glad that they are here and a part of this community with us? Absolutely. They're some of our very best friends, some of our dearest friends here in East Nashville. And, and what we're talking about by being a witnessing community is that we would be a community who is not only testifying to who Jesus is, but that we would be a community who is willing to let our lives be changed by who God is bringing into our lives. That we're talking about not just what happens here on a Sunday morning, we're talking about what happens in your small group. That other people coming into that group might disrupt it. They will. But would you, would you believe that that is a good thing? That that's a gift to them and it's a gift to you? And that beyond the things that our church organizes, that there are people that God, that God wants to see who he is by seeing your life? And that what that would require of you is that you would open up your life to be seen by other people. Not in a showy way, right? That's not what we're talking about. Not by in a way that's gonna like, we're not talking about trying to overload your schedule with more things, because people aren't things on a schedule to be overloaded by. We're talking about the Lord directing our lives and opening it up to the people around us. That we would get to be a witnessing community together. Uh, and I asked, I asked the Brinks to, to just share what being a part of this community has meant to them and been like for them. Uh, and I, I want to read that to you as we kind of close up this morning. This is what it's meant for them uh, to join a worshiping and a witnessing community here in East Nashville, to be a part of a community that's devoted to, to God together. It says, Midtown East has given us a sense of community that we desired for so long. Not just friends to see on Sundays, but people who surround you in good times and bad. People to support you at kids' birthdays and career transitions. People that we can run into at the park or in our grocery store, that we see in our daily tasks. People who will pray for you and rally around you whenever you need them. When family members are sick, when babies are born, and when the weeks are just too long. We are thankful for Midtown East as it became a place for us to grow and a place for us to continue to raise our kids in the world. It shows our family what being part of the body of Christ really looks like. And something now we can't imagine our lives without. That is the effect of being a part of a witnessing and a worshiping community together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful uh, for the men and women, the brothers and sisters that are here with me this morning and for the ways uh, that you've knit us together. Lord, we pray that that is something that you would continue to do. Uh, Lord, that as we worship you, Lord, as, as we manifest you to each other in the ways that we love each other, Lord, that there would be uh, change in our lives because of that. Lord, that there would be change 
in the lives of, uh, of other people, change in our community as we devote ourselves to the God who has devoted himself to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.